everybody, welcome to the January 13th, 2017 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on President Obama delivering his farewell address on Tuesday. Met with mixed emotions, he reminded citizens of his legacy while noting there is still work to be done. Patty Calhoun from Westward, uh, it seems in his farewell uh, we saw a poignant reminder of his oratory skills that we may not see from the White House for a while. What were your thoughts? No matter how you feel about Obama, you have to know he was a great speaker with a good family as props. And I don't, we'll see some family as props in the next president, but the speak, speech making skills will not be as good. What I liked most about his speech is he reminded us or everyone listening, we need to lace up our own shoes and get out and do the work. David Kopel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. I thought you, uh, I'm assuming you have a, a little different take from what you saw as a farewell address. What do you think? When he's in the mood to be uplifting and unifying, he is an, an incomparably outstanding speaker. Um, the country might be better off if we, uh, like Ireland, separated the job of head of state, the ceremonial role, from the head of government. And if we made him just head of state to give nice speeches, uh, he would have been the greatest ever. Ed Seeler from the Denver Business Journal joins us. Uh, you know, farewell addresses are farewell addresses. They're not meant to set a whole lot of policy, but as, uh, as a farewell address goes, what, were your, what did you think? Well, I, I thought it was really interesting kind of touching on the idea of his legacy, because I think it's really dangerous to be able to delve into anyone's legacy when they're leaving office, or frankly, until probably a good quarter century until after they leave office, especially, and as I've discussed before, a president whose legacy is determined so much by the executive orders that he put through on subjects ranging from immigration reform to environmental measures that could just be wiped out with a stroke of a pen by a president who shares pretty much none of his values coming in. So uh, it's, it's good to see him reflecting on his eight years in office. History will tell us where they really sit. Justine Sandoval rounds out the panel, political activist. Do you think, I mean, even though it's a farewell address, it's not meant to set a bunch of policy, but do you think Democrats take away any rallying points from the address? Oh, definitely. Um, looking back myself at the last eight years have been quite a crazy ride, and listening to Obama speak um, for his final, final speech, I think it really spoke to a lot of Democrats and organizers and who are looking at this new administration coming in, worried about what's going to happen to the last eight years that they see as progress uh, for the country, and really talking to them and giving them the message that they're still responsible for making sure that they are active, that they're grabbing clipboards, that they are uh, organizing within the community so I think I think what's really interesting about Obama is it on his eight years it seems like he will speak to the people and all Americans and then you know people either are with him or against him but it's really a new era that we're going into with a president who only will talk to the people who support him it seems like so it's gonna be really interesting to see um, the dynamic going forward but I think he really brought a message to Democrats about um, continuing to work and continuing to inspire them Glass ceilings were officially shattered in Colorado politics this week as Grisanta Duran opened a legislative session as the first Latina Speaker of the House. History was also made as Democratic representatives Buckner, Exum, Melton, Herod, and Coleman, and Senators Fields and Williams were also sworn in in nearly doubling the number of African Americans in the state legislature.
Meanwhile, Beth McCann was also sworn in as Denver's first female district attorney. Patty, it seemed a big week for uh, women in Colorado politics. Uh, what's your impression of this first official week? We, we knew they were elected these positions, but this is officially swearing in this week. What do you think? Well, we might have uh, broken the glass ceiling, but we have not broken the golden dome yet. We haven't had a female governor. You know, the labels I value a lot more are hardworking, <coughs> successful, cooperative. It's great, too. We've long had good gender representation at the state capitol. We've had female speakers of the House. We've had sp female state, state senate presidents. What is going to really make a difference here is what kind of work all the legislators do this year and what kind of adjectives you're going to be putting in front of their names. So it's really good that Colorado has a very representative um, legislature. We're one of the tops in the country for female representation, but let's do the best work this year. David, what impact do you think out of all the different uh, barriers we've seen uh, broken down. What, what do you think is going to have the, the biggest impact on the issues that we're going to be watching in 2017? Well, I think the, the impact depends on, as Patty said, on once you're, you're there in the, the first uh, whatever in a, in a new category, it, it's what you do with it. Uh, this is a long Colorado tradition. We were the first state to elect female uh, members of the House of Representatives back with three Republican women in 1894. Uh, you know, Jackie Robinson is remembered as a barrier-breaking guy, not only because he, he broke the color line, but he was also a great player and of, of, of one of the greatest second basemen of, of any race in the, in the history of baseball. Mark Ferrandino was the first openly gay speaker of the House of Representatives, and he came in with a lot of talent and knowledge, but his term there was a failure. He bullied the governor into going along with everything that the hard-left faction of the Democratic Party wanted and pushed the state so hard and so irresponsibly to the far left that he cost his, uh, the Democrats the control uh, of the state Senate. So great to be the first person of, in your category, but then once you're up to bat, uh, behave responsibly. Ed, you're uh, our guy on Capitol Hill. What, are you, what do you make so far? What are you hearing in the halls about how Speaker Duran is possibly going to lead and maybe lead differently than previous speakers? Well, I think the key here is not the fact that she is a Hispanic female, but the fact that she comes from a background of kind of a blue-collar family and a union family. And the reason that's so key and what makes marks a big difference between her and previous speaker Dickie Lee Hullinghorst, who was a lobbyist from Boulder County, um, is that Duran, a number of lobbyists, tell me he's always thinking about how to help workers, how to get jobs going, how to create more jobs. And, and that kind of attitude would probably have been more helpful the past two years when there was the big roadblock in trying to pass construction defects reform and trying to pass transportation funding, all things that will create jobs. Um, it, people say that Duran is more open to these ideas. She's more willing to sit down and negotiate than her predecessors were. As I should say, new Senate President Kevin Grantham is viewed as being far more open than previous Senate President Bill Cadman as well. So I think that's the real story here, is that we've got someone who's coming in who's willing to listen to a little bit more broad spectrum of ideas than her predecessor, according to to everyone I talk to, and that could be just what gets us across to actually say we've passed some important bills this year, which we couldn't say for the past two years. Justine, I'm very interested in hearing your perspective about this. I think the, a lot of different barriers you've seen broken officially again this week. Your thoughts? Well, for me personally, I, as well as um, 
um, Speaker Duran, our sixth generation Colorado Latinas. So it was a very proud moment for me personally, um, growing up here, watching my family through multiple generations as Colorado has grown. I think that's probably the most important thing to me, uh, to see somebody like uh, Crisanta Duran representing like families and generations that have been here in Colorado, because I think that they really have a grasp on where we come from, where we're going, and what we need. And I think that um, a lot of her, what I've heard is from a lot of people is that they feel that her leadership will um, be able to help us move forward. I know right now they're saying we're the most divided legislature in the country, Colorado is, but I really don't. I really see that there could be a lot of opportunity for progress. And um, also, uh, going back to Beth McCann, mm -hmm. I was at her soaring-in ceremony this week, and the sentiment there seemed to be that She's very well trusted within Denver, and I think she's going to do a lot, um, not only being just because she's the first female DA, which will open up a new perspective for that position, but also because the community really trusts her, and I think that she wants to create a Denver that's, have a, that's had a lot of problems with police brutality and, you know, the community questioning um, how the DA has handling cases. I think that she's really going to bring in a perspective that will help create a better relationship between the community and the police department in Denver. So it's exciting times. I'm really excited, personally. So <laughs> I had a feeling. Colorado Senate Republicans wasted no time jumping into Parson issues this week as Senate President Kevin Grantham urged a full repeal of Colorado's health care exchange in his opening remarks. While the proposal is unlikely to go anywhere in the State House, the move seemed to mirror national Republican efforts to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Uh, David, it's, it's an opening remark speech. It's purely symbolic, and with a split legislature, the move actually isn't going to go anywhere. But if this is your opening salvo, is this a line of things to come? Well, of, of course it is, because... In, in any large human project, it will fail if it's not sustainable. The so-called Affordable Care Act was not sustainable. And some of us, uh, including my colleagues at the Cato Institute, predicted that from the start. We showed in 2010 how the budget numbers that showed this was supposedly going to work and be able to pay for itself and keep going were phony. They were deliberately bogus, fabricated numbers. The plan was sold to the American people on what was known to be a lie at the time. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your insurance, you can keep your insurance. To the contrary, the plan, as it actually existed in the minds of Zeke Emanuel and its other architects, was to destroy all that. We've seen many people benefit from the subsidies they've gotten, including the ones who got on expanded Medicaid, and we've seen many more people harmed by it enormously expensive policies that they're forced to buy from essentially a single monopoly provider uh, at ridiculous costs where they get something that is actuarially worth maybe two thousand five hundred dollars you know huge deductibles and they gotta spend nine or twelve thousand dollars for insurance for their family the exchanges are collapsing all over the country providers are pulling out something has to be done now the republicans have the responsibility to come up with something better, but what this thing is, is collapsing under its own weight. If nothing were done, it would collapse on its own anyway. So something has to, we have to move to a more sustainable approach. And our last round, you had some great thoughts about how there might be some, uh, you have differences in the leadership from last session, so it might lead to some uh, different progress. What was the reaction to uh, uh, Grantham's comments right from this very beginning. It was interesting. I was in the Senate when he gave his speech, and, and there just seemed to be this 
deflation of air from the room as he as he mentioned that that was going to be Senate Bill Number Three, which, while symbolic, you know, it doesn't matter what your bill number is, you're going to get a hearing on it anyway. Uh, the idea that he would put that out there, and then he very quickly said after listing the first six Senate bills, we hope these are ideas that can gain bipartisan support. Well, of course, the Senate Democrats thought that laughable in regard to this bill, and it is as as uh, as Patty mentioned, going to have a uh, or excuse me as. as uh, you and Dave mentioned going to have a real hard time getting through uh, the the House at this point. Uh, I also talked to its sponsor, uh, freshman senator uh, Jim Smallwood, afterwards, and and his response was, "Look, this is not going to hurt anyone. We can we're going to phase that out over two years. We're going to move the people who are on there onto the federal government exchange." The question, of course, is, will there be a federal government exchange uh, come 2019 to move them on to? Um, uh, you know, in in talking to people, uh, they, they seem to try to really separate the Colorado exchange. When I'm talking to uh, proponents of this idea, they seem to co- separate the Colorado exchange from what's going on at the national level. But it's, it's hard to do that right now, especially because the legislature is going to have to react to so much coming down from Congress when it deals with things like Medicaid block grant funding that may come and, and other mandates being pulled back. I'll, I, I don't think this is a lot of legs, but it really starts the conversation about health care reform, reform in an interesting way. Healthcare reform, reform. I like that. You should put a little TM on that one, Ed. I like that one a lot. Uh, Justine, the Republican, at least Senate Republicans, uh, made a clear sign from the very beginning they were willing to get into the partisan muck on this issue immediately. They weren't going to pull any punches. Where do you think uh, at least House Democrats are going to be willing to jump into the partisan muck? Is it this issue? Is it something else? Um, I don't. Definitely not this issue. I think Democrats are pretty much aligned with saving the Affordable Care Act and making sure that we're protecting the now, uh, according to the government yesterday, or the governor yesterday, 94 percent of Coloradans who are now insured um, thanks to the. Affordable Care Act here in Colorado. So I think that um, there'll be definitely some issues this year coming up where um, people will reach across the aisle, but this is not one of them, I do not think. <laughs> Clearly. Uh, Patty, as we just said, you know, it's not uh, a kumbaya moment to open up the Senate remarks, but uh, do you think that we should even be expecting anything to come from a split legislature? Well, on this issue, no, because you immediately heard Hickenlooper the next day and whether he had to change any of his speech to be very clear about the state's rights and he wants to be able to keep this state program. He has a not-so-secret weapon in Donna Lynn, the lieutenant governor who had been a Kaiser, who certainly understands the health care system and I hope is working very hard on trying to come up with some kind of compromise for Colorado, especially considering that we have no idea what's coming from Congress. It makes, you know, when they talk about we're going to get rid of Obamacare and with something really, really great. And it makes me think of when we were hearing about this wonderful new invention that was going to change transportation and it turned out to be the Segway. I mean, that's <laughs> what I'm thinking. We're about to get the federal Segway. We've <laughs> <laughs> got a lot of great ideas that should be trade work here. The, the, the federal Segway, I like that one a lot. Let's get to our next topic. Governor Hickenlooper delivered his State of the State address on Thursday, focusing on health care, marijuana regulation, education funding, and transportation. In response to moves to repeal the Affordable Care Act and associated state programs, he commented that Colorado's health exchange is here, is here to stay, noting the last thing we would want Congress is to is making decision all <laughs> the last thing we want Congress making all our decisions around health care. 
as I butchered it, Ed, it seemed that uh, it was a sign of why it was not a wise statement to make. If, if you're talking about that we don't want Congress going through, like you said, having reform on health care reform, it's exactly kind of where Congress was before. Uh, reaction to the state of the state, which, again, is another symbolic speech, but what you hear in the, in the halls. Well, it's interesting, the, the, the point you bring up about his remarks on health care were really the only truly divisive things that he said in the speech in concept. Everybody seemed to agree with where Hickenlooper is going. He tapped the feeling of the legislature and said he wanted action on what are considered the two main issues of this uh, session. He wants past construction defects reform legislation, and he wants them to come up with a bill uh, or a ballot initiative that would increase transportation funding. Now, the trick is the details, and Hickenlooper didn't offer a lot of details. In fact, I can only count three new initiatives he came up with, all of which are reasonably minor. Um, but uh, you know, when it came to transportation funding, what he said essentially was, look, we need to give something to the voters, and by the way, we don't have any money to cut in state governments. Um, Republicans have actually been unusually willing to say, we'll consider putting a tax hike on the ballot if you let us cut money from the, federal go uh, from the state government and from some other areas to show that the state is willing to pitch into this. And Hickenlooper's speech kind of rubbed them the wrong way, almost like saying, hey, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I want the Democrats' idea, not your idea. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether that throws a loop at all into what have been some very constructive, ongoing talks since June, I'm told, uh, at, at the state capitol about trying to find a transportation plan. Uh, but in general, it was classic Hickenlooper. It was big ideas. Please give me something. You know, even when he spoke about rural broadband, I want 100% of the state covered by 2020. Everybody said, I like that idea. But he didn't mention how we were going to do that. So it's kind of, here you go, legislature. One of his last words was giddy up. That clearly was what he intends the legislature to do for the next 120 days. <laughs> Uh, Justine, do you think there are any issues out there that a, uh, a split legislature can take Governor Hickenlooper's uh, at least suggestion and giddy up towards some action? Um, probably promoting goats. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all get behind promoting yeah. goats. Um, I think for most, most, I have to agree, most of his speech was not really anything new that we haven't heard in previous State of the States, but I think he is kind of following a, a line that's not you know, splitting the part the parties within Colorado. There's like some major issues that, you know, are gonna come up, but it seems like um it's business as usual this time around for the governor. So Especially comes to a state of state address. It's going to be ceremonial, ceremonial. Yeah. Uh, Patty, uh, we only, yes, uh, technically would have one more state of state address to look forward to from Governor Hickenlooper. I, I like the fact that uh, Ed brought up the idea of classic Hickenlooper. You think of the classic Hickenlooper speech, did this, did this hit that uh, that bar? No, because he had he did have the giddy up, but it was a little more sober sided than last year. You know, when he people were he was very brilliant, new just about to be a newlywed, and the state was looking up. Certainly, it looked like he was going to have a better year. Um, the Democrats nationally, I think in this case uh, we will get something on transportation on the ballot. I don't think it's going to be segways, although could work <laughs> going to the mountains if you can figure out how to carry your skis. Um, I think his plan to go after black market marijuana and really lock lockdown Colorado system, which has gained general raves across the country as others are rolling it out, but the black market issue is still a concern. So I think people will get beyond that. It's law and order, um, and it, it, it's a good one. We'll see something with transportation, but we are going to have a very divided legislature this session. David, uh, we've, we've beaten the whole ceremonial speech idea into the ground, but do you see any nuggets of possible progress there? I think the governor's overlooked 
uh, a source of, of progress. He accurately talked about how Utah spends four times as much money on roads as Colorado does. And, of course, that's, that's very important. He talked about the, if we should look about putting three lanes on I-25 all the way from Wyoming down to New Mexico. But so why is it then when we have this largest budget in the history of Colorado, uh, half of which is actually e exempt from any citizen control under the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, that we're still out of money? The Independence Institute Citizens Budget from a few years ago identified a billion dollars of spending cuts, and we could start with the money in the movie welfare program, which gave millions of dollars to Quentin Tarantino, who already has $100 million for this disgusting movie, The Hateful Eight, which is filmed in Colorado with the taxpayers' money, but set in Wyoming. So even if you're attracted by hate tourism, uh, it's going to go to Wyoming instead anyway. Utah has one of the best public school systems in the country and spends less, far less per pupil than Colorado. So the governor ought to look at Utah to see what they're doing better to save them money so that they can spend the money on uh, transportation. We offered positive tips about Utah and maybe uh, a great tip for uh, Wyoming if they're interested in hate tourism. You, you heard that here first, least <laughs> hateful hate uh, tourism. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, you start us off. Well, first I want to follow up on one of the things we talked about last mm -hmm. week that was disgraceful, which was the use of force policy that had come out from the Denver Police, Police Department. We generally thought it looked pretty good, but we thought the process stunk. And now, in response, two days later, they announced they will have community meetings. So that's great. So good for the DPD to realize they had made some mistakes in process. I'm going to return to Washington, D.C., where you would think Congressman Doug Lamborn would have something more to think about than a piece of artwork he didn't like. You know, he didn't like this piece of art that had won a congressional district contest in Missouri. I can't wait to see what Doug Lamborn's district picked out. <laughs> that will be interesting indeed. David. Let's suppose you're an elderly widow and your husband used to take care of all the checkbook and things like that. So to manage your social security, you ask one of your children to be your financial representative to take care of your relationship with the Social Security Administration. Under a new regulation put out by the Obama administration, that person I just described is categorized as a mental, def as having been adjudicated as a mental defective, and it's a felony for that person to possess a firearm or even to hold a firearm for five minutes at a, at a shooting range. Ed. Anybody who watched Rex Tillerson's confirmation hearing <laughs> must have been just baffled by his mid-hearing pivot from softball defender of Vladimir Putin and of opponent of Russian sanctions to somebody who suddenly was going to stand up and try to take back Crimea for its own. Um, I, uh, it, was, it was really baffling, and I think senators really need to think hard before they decide that this is the guy who needs to be our next international foreign policy liaison to the world. Real-life politics and those hearings are making it very hard on Saturday Night Live writers to come up with something even more bizarre. I, I, I get exactly <laughs> what you're saying. Uh, Justine, your disgrace of the week. Um, this week, I chose Senator Cory Gardner, who stood in the middle of the night and spoke in favor of repealing the Affordable Care Act while Coloradans were sleeping, and who has continued to ignore his constituents as we've called and called into his office. Senator Gardner, your mailbox uh, is full, so you might want to check some of those messages. Let's get to say something nice about somebody. Patty? 
I'm going to return to the city, which has also been working on its process regarding DIY spaces. It's having a big meeting on the 18th at 5.30 at the McNichols Building, bringing out all the departments involved, arts and venues, planning, fire department, to work with artists to try to make their spaces safer. David. The DU Pioneers hockey team now ranked number one in the country, and they are number one because Colorado College defeated the previous number one team, Minnesota Duluth, on the road. Uh, so uh, Colorado hockey, college hockey is doing great. Yeah, college hockey, I'm glad that that's a yeah. very important qualifier <laughs> this year. Ed. Tom Clark has been the conductor of the well-oiled train that turned Denver from a perceived cow town into the economic development envy of the nation over the past decade or so. His announcement Wednesday that he's retiring was overshadowed by big news that day. It shouldn't have been. It may be the most important news of all to come from that day. It's uh, good to see uh, you bringing that up. It's a good point. Justine. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Speaker Duran <laughs> once again. Really proud moment and really want to give her my congratulations and hope that she has a successful session. That is all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. We have a variety of reminders here, some big programming stuff here happening at Channel 12. First of all, we, if you may have seen it just yesterday on Thursday, we released our fourth channel. That's right, 12.4 if you're watching uh, over the air. If you're watching on Comcast, Channel 262, it's NHK World. It is uh, public television from Japan, and it is amazing the kind of different stuff they're offering. Not only is there uh, uh, news updates every half hour, but also some great documentaries, great programs you may have already seen on uh, Channel 12 already, or some of our other channels on Worldview, uh, including upcoming, it's not gone right now, but in the spring, we're going to have the Sumo Championship highlights. I'm telling you, it sounds a little silly, but it is riveting television. You're going to be very excited to see that. Again, that's NHK World on 12.4. Uh, if you are watching over there, you might need to rescan the TV. It's really easy to do. Hit your menu, there's a rescan button, and then it'll, it'll appear. And then uh, you also have it on Comcast on Channel 262. Next week, Channel 12 will offer exclusive coverage of the inauguration hosted by Amy Goodman on Democracy Now! So we have the inaugural coverage of everything that's going on on Friday. That's going to start at uh, 7.30 a.m. on Friday, going all the way till 1 p.m. And on Saturday, we'll have special coverage, again, from Amy Goodman and Democracy Now! on the Women's March in Washington on Saturday, January 21st. That's going to be 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. These are two historic moments, and I think getting a perspective, a unique perspective from Amy Goodman and Democracy Now! will certainly, I think, be different than what you're getting from different channels. So hope you tune in. We're happy to be the source of uh, alternative uh, viewpoints, whether it's uh, John Caldera on Devil's Advocate or if it's Amy Goodman Democracy Now!, uh, we're proud to be that source for you. So I hope you tune in on these big time historic moments happening next week. And of course, you'll see uh, us as usual on the 20th. And a special pitch, I know this is two weeks away, but on the 27th of January, this program, Colorado Inside Out, have a very special announcement, a new look to go along with our announcement. We hope you tune in. It's a, it's a proud moment for us. I don't want to spill all the beans. That'll be happening on Friday, January 27th. So be sure to tune in, and thanks again for supporting the station, making it possible. That is all the time we have for Color Inside Out tonight, so thank you for tuning in. Be sure to check out the CIO podcast on iTunes and Google Play and the topics of our show on Facebook and Twitter feeds. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.